Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Again, welcome to another episode of Blockhead. This is the second part of our two-part interview with the great Ray Billingsley, cartoonist and creator of the well-loved, wonderful, venerable comic strip Curtis, syndicated by King Features Syndicate and in newspapers near you right now. This episode picks up right where we left off last time, talking about Peanuts and uh, Charles Schultz and how some of the the routines utilized by the strip over the course of 50 years might have begun to seem a little dated to an audience that was growing up in the 90s and the early part of the 21st century and might not be as familiar with things like a lemonade stand, the basis of, of Lucy's psychiatric booth, or or even the interest in psychiatry that was so prevalent in the middle 20th century. They might not be as familiar with flying kites or playing sandlot baseball as kids were back in the day. How do you keep a comic strip that's moving across one era and into another fresh and vital? Uh, Ray talks about that as our discussion picks up right where it left off last time. I'll meet up with you at the end again and we'll connect there and uh, sit back and enjoy Ray Billingsley and myself in conversation. He was telling me he didn't think he could go any further. The, the characters, the situations, and mind you, uh, the times were were changing. Yeah, and yeah. kids didn't know who Beethoven was. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, they didn't even know what lemon booths were. You know, the lemonade booths were. Yeah, yeah much well, less. Yeah. You know, Lucy's psychiatry booth. Yeah, uh, kids weren't flying kites anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, tastes were really changing, and you know. Uh, his strip was pretty much, you know, uh, mired in a different time. You'd be surprised. It, it's really kind of hard uh, to keep up with certain things because you become intrigued, fascinated, or fond of certain subjects. And then the way time goes, those things change. Right. And they don't fit anymore. Uh, in early years, Curtis would get a phone call from a girl or something, and Barry would listen in on the extension. Oh. As soon as uh, cell phones came out, that idea had to go. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they don't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I used to love having Curtis and his mother go uh, back to school shopping. And she would tell him to try on these pants in the fitting room. And he was in there with his pants around his ankles. She would open <laughs> the door and people saw him in his underwear. And they'd laugh <laughs> and scream. But see, that idea is falling because... They don't shop like that anymore. Yeah. You know, most shopping is on the Internet. Those those ideas don't work anymore. And a lot of times characters aren't so able to be able to jump to different things. It strikes me 
you know, to think that Schultz was thinking that in a way, and it's funny, it, it, it's, it's an odd thing to think about. It, it makes me sad in a lot of ways, but it also, you know, makes me realize, like when I talk to other cartoonists our age, you know, um, I talk about how Peanuts hasn't really dated because it's not a topical strip. Right. But the accoutrements of it, just as you're, you're going through it, the, the little details, the things that, that the, the props around the strip have changed. And right. you're absolutely right. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I mean, I did see recently in a park not too far away uh, a father and his kids with a kite. And that, so that was kind of a heartwarming moment. But you're right. You know, there's a lot about the strip in Peanuts that uh, is part of the 20th century and has right. changed a lot. And right. I think that as a cartoonist, it, it is, you know, particularly, and I don't want to keep saying that we're old because I don't feel old. And I, 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 I think I read somewhere, maybe it was an Instagram post you put up where you said you feel like you haven't accomplished half of what you set out to do yet. Oh, yes. And, yes. and I feel the same way. I don't feel old or anything. But, but at the same time, trying to keep up with like pop culture like in curtis curtis is a fan of rap and hip-hop and you know oh, and, and horror movies and horror, and movies. horror movies horror movies well i can get into horror movies not so much contemporary ones again here i am an old guy like greg right i, I right. like older movies the oh, older yeah. horror movies right but uh, curtis is into the newer stuff and the newer music and and it must be hard for you in a way i mean are you more like curtis you're more like greg in that regard well, actually, I'm more like Greg, but yeah. <laughs> I do know, you know, to keep up with the times, I have to be more like Curtis. Yeah. And I can't have him saying, you know, Curtis can't possibly say he likes whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah. Because, you know, that's not in his spectrum. Right. But of course, uh, Curtis's father wouldn't be so quick to just jump on the superhero genre. Because uh, I even had him explain it once where he said he saw it at its beginning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like 30 years later, he's kind of tired of it. But, of yeah. course, you know, for Curtis, it's still new. Yeah. Uh, Curtis's father will talk about how music has changed and how people don't play instruments and, that you know, they don't play the guitar or the sax. And Curtis turned around and say, hey, that's not what music is about. You know, instruments are not what music is about. <laughs> so of course, Greg falls over because that's exactly what it's about. Yeah, but, right. You know, it's it's that that push and go that's happening in society. Yeah. Uh, for for a long time, things seem to have remained the same, and mm -hmm. we didn't question it. But then, all of a sudden, within say like the past twenty years or fifteen years, things have changed so drastically. You have to be aware of what's going on. You need to use even the lingo that, yeah. that young people are using because they'll see you if you're phony. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, do you have an audience of, of younger people? Or oh, yes. You yes. do. Which is really great. Uh, I really like that because it lets me know that Curtis is reaching over uh, to a whole different audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny because I've Walt Walker once told me, well, Ray, you're changing this and changing that. And we know you're doing stuff for younger people. He said, you're, you know, you should be afraid about losing the older ones. And I said, no, actually, I want to keep the older audience, but I have to welcome the new ones, too. You know, I, I've got to relate to the new ones, too, because I don't want them to feel like they're being snubbed. Right. I do a lot of things to just try to keep them all happy. Well, I think in order, if, if, you know, 
comic strips are going to continue in the way they have, obviously the readership has got to has got to to change. You, you've got to be able to reach and communicate to the ne- the next generation. You know, the uh, um, because as people age, they they stop following them or or, or right. what you right. know. And, so and see, uh, one thing that you really have to do uh, to stay up with a lot of things, you have to still do a lot of reading. Yeah, you know, you have to keep up with what they like, what you know, what drives them, what their ambitions are, and put it into your characters. It, it's worked for me on a grand scale, mm-hmm. and I never let it be seen that it's being forced. You know, because anybody will notice if you're trying to force something on a person, and that that'll make them mock you instead of like you. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I keep up with the music. Right. You know, I, I keep up with with all of it. Right. You know, I'm one you of know, the older people, you know. Yeah. I talk about Cardi B. You know, I know these people too. You know you know who they are. Do you, actually, fact, you know, I know them. Do you listen to Cardi B? Well, I have, yeah. I've, yeah, I've okay. So you're from, so you're better than I am. I, I know the names because I, I see them, but I, you know, I don't follow the music. I'm I'm still I'm listening to, you know, uh you know, Frank Sinatra, the Beatles and Nat King Cole and Oh, and, well see, I listen to all of it. Yeah, man. I, I love music. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I listen to everything. Yeah, and, me you know, too. Even, even with the youngsters, I mean, I, I want to see what they have to offer. Yeah, you know, sometimes the rappers will sample music. Yeah, something that I dance to. That is always something funny to to, to see. Yeah, uh, it's it is interesting to see what they do with it. It's like collage in a way. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. you know, I I think the young people are also, you know, they're very creative in their own right. Oh yeah, so, very much. So. You know. I, I don't want to just block them out. I, I want to enfold them also. Well, sometimes I feel like, you know, and this is a tangent, but sometimes I, I feel like, you know, well, I'm, I'm in the way, you know, uh, of young people. Um, you know, what am I doing taking up space on the Internet when or attention from somebody when, you know, there's a young person out there who's probably more relevant than I am. But at the same time, you, you are who you are. You have something to bring to the game and. Uh, whatever age you're at, and uh, and you do so, you know, you 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 bring that, and I think there's some value to that, even though I am a little bit old. <laughs> I, I always say, as long as you have something to tell, yeah, you are relevant. It mm. doesn't matter, you know, if you're a 70 year old person, right? If you still have something that's of interest that people would be willing to listen to, why not? The younger ones, you know, of course they have things to say, but. Sure. We have a lot more experience. We do. So and, we could talk about things that they they have not experienced, if they ever will. You know, I, I it brings to mind a, a moment in a classroom where uh, um, a, a kid was uh, sort of um, talking about age in a, in a class I was teaching and, and brought up something about my age. And I, I looked at him and I said, hey, if you think I'm embarrassed about my age, you're mistaken. I, I earned every one of these white hairs on my head. Yeah. What's left of the hair on my head anyway? Right. And, you know, and I, I think when I think about that, I don't know, did you did you have, um, were you close to your grandparents at all? My grandparents were, my grandmothers uh, in particular, and one grandmother in particular, I was very, very close to. And there was something about being around them, you know, in the day when I grew up, we didn't travel too far away from where our grandparents were living. And so they were part of my life. 
Did you have that kind of connection? Oh, yeah. Uh, Actually, I was very close uh, more with my grandfather. Uh huh. Uh, mind you, my my family has southern roots. Uh huh. We're from we're from Alabama and we're from North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was close to my grandfather in North Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a barber. He was a barber. Right. Like, okay. And that's where Gunther comes from. Yeah, I love okay. Gunther. He's uh, my, one of my favorite characters. My my grandfather and I, we were able to speak a lot easier than my father and I. Oh, isn't and that that's why Curtis and Gunther, they have such a freewheeling, close relationship. They do. And, you know, it's interesting. Was that your father's father? No, that was my mother's father. Your mother's father. Okay. Right. Yeah. There's a, That's a connection to Schultz, too. You know, Schultz's dad was a barber. Uh, and I think, you know, I mentioned in passing to you that my great-grandfather was a barber. Right. So, you know, maybe there's something about cartoonists and barbers. I don't know. <laughs> well, you have to be a, a, an artist of a kind. You have to be visually oriented to be a barber. You know, you, you have to be able to see three dimensions and see how, you know, when you cut from here, how it's going to look on this side there, you know. And sure. uh, so sure. you have to have that visual sense about it. So there's that. But it's kind of interesting. So you were close to your, your your grandfather, and did was he somebody? Did he get to see Curtis uh, public? No. Or he didn't. No. That's a shame. He, yeah. he didn't see uh, Curtis. He did see um, my first strip, uh, Looking Fine. He mm-hmm. did see that one. Okay. Okay. But, uh, he was already you know way up there when that strip came out, and that was like 1980. Right. Yeah. And so, so you were just barely what 23 years old yeah if if that much <laughs> oh my gosh so that and so you were i think at the time the youngest syndicated cartoonist yes oh yes. right amazing so he must have Life been so proud. crazy this way mm-hmm. when i graduated from the school of visual arts the next day i had to show up for work at disneyland well this i was at disney world okay uh, i was a uh intern okay at the animation department wow so while right. I was there, and mind you, they work you over learning yeah. how to animate yeah. characters. I was I was learning how to become uh, an in betweener. Okay. So, um, you know, you can discuss with your class what that is. But um, while I was working at that job, then the contract for Looking Fine came through. Mm-hmm. So I left Disney to go do Looking Fine. Sure. Looking, sure. looking fine lasted for a couple of years, and we had a lot of bitter arguments because people did not understand what I was trying to do. Uh, I think because of my age, they really thought they knew better than me. Right. And it was about a black family. Right. And mind you, most of these people were non-blacks. Right. So they didn't really know what they were talking about. Sure. So I, I left that strip, and I went back to freelancing. While I was freelancing, I, I kept working on strips and, and kept studying and studying. And, uh, you know, Curtis then came out. He was born in 86. And I took a year to develop him. Then he hit the real pavement in 88. So, but, I mean, I, I have always been working. 
it's interesting that you're talking about the experience with Looking Fine and then with Curtis. So you, you found people who were trying to direct your storylines, maybe, and your characters and your characterizations. Yes. Yes. And and again, the representation of African-Americans in, in the syndicate business was very, very slim. You know, right. Not okay. per, particularly, not only mine, cartoonists, but now, I'm sorry. This, this is the thing. What made mine different at that time? Now, we had Maury Turner, who did We yep. Pals, yep. and we had Brumzik Brandon, who did mm-hmm. Luther, and, you know, about kids. And uh, let's see, we had Ted Shearer. Ted Shearer. Yep. Right. But most of the strips involved children. Yeah. Now, Looking Fine was the first one to feature 20-something-year-olds. And I was sort of following in the trail of Doonesbury. Doonesbury was talking about drugs and politics and, you know, everything they wanted to. I had figured, well, why can't I put a black spin on it? So, I mean, I I did have a head for politics. I'm very aware of culture, counterculture. I wanted to put those sort of things in the strip. And I think because I had characters that was in their 20s, more people were scared of it. Because it might have come across as angry. And, you know, that wasn't the case. I was just, I was an observer and I was observing things and yeah, I was just sure. feeding it back. And they were saying, well, no, you can't talk about drugs. And I'm like, well, why not? You know, Doonesbury does. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, blacks did have a, a, a bad culture with drugs. So, I mean, I was just mentioning it. And uh, there was just so much fighting back and forth. I knew something was wrong when. They wanted me to bolster readership by adding a white character. And I said, okay, well, where's this white character going to go? And they said, well, Ray, you could have the the main character like adopt one. Oh, man. And I said, you know, uh, black families living in the the city the way these are, they don't don't adopt white kids. Yeah, right. (laughs) So at that point there, I really knew who I was up against. Yeah. When I think about it, you know, I'm I was kind of familiar with Quincy. I read Quincy. Quincy was published in one of the newspapers that I got back in the day, and uh, and Quincy dealt with some, although it was from a kid's perspective, um, you know, from dealt with some serious issues and and did did so quite successfully. Right. Um, and and Curtis is not overtly political, but Curtis will bring up some difficult issues here and there. Yes. Never, you know, in a, in a, a, what I would say a particularly confrontational way, but, um, but in a very subtle way and in a very, I think, um, deliberate and, and rich way. But, you know, it also calls to mind, you know, Aaron Magruder and Boondocks a couple of years later came along and, and did something that, you know, was challenging and, and Doonesbury-like and dealt with difficult subjects very overtly and, uh, you know, didn't didn't have any problems. And, you know, it's it's just a mark of changing times, really. And, and... Well, yeah, you, you have to remember this now. Uh, Aaron came along, uh, he was like, Wow, he was like 10 years behind us. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like a whole generation that had gone by. And, uh, you know, then it was his time. But uh, people like myself and Barbara Brandon and and Rob Armstrong and Stephen Mm -hmm. Bentley, uh, we took the first brunt of the discussion. Uh, We were all hit down. All of us, we really struggled because the industry was not kind to any of us. Right. And we struggled to say what we were going to do. And, you know, 
some of us made it through. Some of us, through frustration, just didn't want to be bothered anymore. Yeah. But uh, that actually set the tone for a Doonesbury to come through. Mm-hmm. Had we not gone through that, I mean, Doonesbury, I mean, um, Aaron's stuff wouldn't yeah. have come through. Yeah. It would have stayed in, like, uh, magazines, like where he had come from. Right. Uh, it would right. have been in, you know, a black magazine and not national. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, at the same time you were trying to do that, you know, you have white cartoonists like Gary Trudeau and and uh, um, Berkeley Bradhead um, dealing with stuff, you know, that was controversial and yeah. um, raised hackles and, and certainly got them booted off. I mean, Doonesbury got booted off the comics page and thrown into the editorial section. Uh, yeah. But, you know, somehow the syndicate lived with that and uh, and people continued to read it, you know, but for you. And your contemporaries, it was very, it was very difficult because there weren't any um, sympathetic, you know, ears within the syndicate itself. I mean, right, right. The yeah. the syndicate themselves, they will back you. They mm-hmm. really back you. But uh, thing of it is, they don't really want you to do anything that'll be controversial because you know they don't want to answer letters or or sponsors or you know, clients, they just want everything to go smoothly. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the syndicate does all it can to look out for me. Yeah, sure. You know, if, if they think that there's something that, you know, I might have crossed the line with, they'll tell me, and, you know, we come up with an alternate solution. You know, everything is very friendly. So once it passes them, where things get a little more cutthroat. That happens, I mean, even from other people in the industry, uh, the the book industry has not been kind to any of us. Uh, I was they gonna, act like we are not even here. Well, you know, I was going to ask that. Thirty one years of Curtis, and yeah. there's no great collection of yeah. Curtis in print right now. There no, really no should. No one be. wants to do it. And it's re- have you been a, or have you approached people about doing it or, oh, or been approached? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I've Would spoken you... to a couple of the really big name publishers. Sure. And uh. Nobody wants to touch it. And for the life of me, it doesn't, I, I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, they'll you, tell me that, Ray, we love your work. We've been reading it for, you know, the past 20 years. It's fantastic. But we're not really doing this kind of stuff now. But you know what? It it doesn't make sense to me, and and I think it's a real shame because, you know, one of the great ways in which comic strips live on, and continue to live on, is through collections and sure. uh, collections of, of the works. And certainly, you know, you've been doing it for thirty thirty one years, and uh, and gone through a lot with Curtis, and it's got a substantial readership, and it's in over two hundred and fifty newspapers still, right? Right. And so so it's still got a broad readership you would think that they would put together a collection it would be you know i think it would be a great thing because it's it's uh in order to really i think appreciate what happens in curtis i think you need to read it in depth you need to see it in a collection you know and it's 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 um because the the interplay between the characters is really what it's about. It's about this family and how they get along and and the characters and how they get along and, and day-to-day life. It's it's not really a gag strip like Beetle Bailey or right, right. or Hagar the Horrible. It's it's very much uh, you know, a, a drama, comedy drama, if you will, but it's about yeah, it, it's subtle. Yeah. It, you know, it's not in your face. It's it's subtle. Yeah. Um yeah. And which goes back to the type of audience I have. 
Yeah. I think most of the people that actually read or get some sort of enjoyment out of Curtis, I tend to think that they're very smart. Yeah. I think that most of my readers are very smart, especially judging by the mail I get. Uh, you know, they're, they're very educated. Do you get snail mail or do you get um, oh, email? I, I get both. You get both. <laughs> <laughs> I get both. I'm you looking get... at a stack of mail now that I have to answer. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah, oh. it's a stack. And, yeah. and I, I don't always get to it because there, there are people who request special drawings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to tell them this. Uh, you think of it this way. You're a bus driver. And say you drive a bus on Park Avenue in New York City. And from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, you're driving that bus up and down the avenue, up and down, up and down, up and down. Then you finally get to go home at night. And as soon as you get home, someone asks you to drive them somewhere. Oh, man. <laughs> and I mean, that's what it's that's, like when yeah. people ask me for special drawings. It's yeah. like, oh, man, I've been drawing all day long. Yeah. All day. And, you know, now you want me to make a special drawing. It's it's hard. You know, yeah. it, it just takes me a while. I can get to it, but um, they just have to be patient. Oh, man. It, it, and I don't think people appreciate it. And then when they, you don't answer with a drawing, then they get upset and maybe you lose a reader. And it's it's, you know, yeah. and, if, you know, I, I I'm, although I've never been in that situation, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. That's that's a tough one. Like you said, if you're been driving all day long you don't want to get in the car and drive again yeah the day. usually if i have to relay that story to someone they understand and you know they'll give yeah. me at least some leeway and uh they don't they don't tend to get upset after yeah. i talk with them when people get in touch with me i try to address them i don't want to yeah. send them to the syndicate or anything i want them to get it from the horse's mouth <laughs> and that way they feel better so, so do, and, and I'm sure they appreciate it. I, I mean, you know, because you are, uh, you know, I mean, really an icon of comic strip art. I mean, you are one of the big guns out there these days. You've been around for 31 years. There aren't too many really who are still working on their own work, who, who have a strip as venerable as Curtis is. So, you know, getting a response from Ray Billingsley, I think would be, you know, pretty exciting for anybody who's a comics fan. Uh, so that's kind of a neat thing. But do you know of cartoonists who just either just sit on their fan mail or they send it off to the syndicate to respond to? Well, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of cartoonists they have um, assistants. They have a staff, yeah. You know that'll take care of that sort of thing. You know, and and they may put out uh, like a form letter. You know, uh, <laughs> thank you for your inquiry. You know, it was nice. I'm I'm glad you show an appreciation of the strip. Sign, you know, dot, dot, dot. See, if I have to write a letter, each one is very different because I, I write them for that person. So it's, it's not a standard for me. One day I do intend on getting uh, a couple of people up in this studio and uh, we go through uh, these strips and, and put them out in some collections yeah. and uh, actually put them out there. See, I, I'm a one-man band right now. So, I mean, doing the strip alone... That's a it's a lot of work. Yeah, you do you do everything. You do the writing, the you right. do the, the scripting, you do the penciling, you do the inking. And are you yeah. still working um, on paper with pen and ink and old oh, school? Oh yeah, I, hmm? I'm a traditionalist. Right. So, <laughs> so so 
those are your skills. That's your skill set. And and then the coloring, I know you said uh, during the week it's done by others at the syndicate, and you do the coloring for the Sundays. Right. What we right. have to do is a color chart. Yeah, you know, okay. You make, you make a copy of the black and white. Right. Uh, black and white Sunday, and then you color on that. Yeah. And then we go by a, a color indicator sheet. Mm. And like say like uh, 17 is light blue. So when you go to a, a sky, you put 17 and you you color it in blue. And of course, that lets them know exactly how to print it. But uh, even that for a strip like mine takes me over an hour to do. Sure. There's See, so much detail. Yep. Color, coloring takes a lot. People don't recognize that. But you're doing all of that. Right. And, uh, and, and then after that, you know, to, 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 to do any of the publicity, because that's a seven day a week job just unto itself, just doing the comic. To yes. do any of the other stuff, Instagram right. or social media or or putting together a publication or putting together a Patreon page or a, a, a Kickstarter or something like that. Right. That's a whole nother job unto itself. And and I think it's it's, you know, when you are doing everything and overseeing everything, it's really hard to get all that done. Uh, yeah, I, I say this from my own point of view, too, because I, I'm not even trying to do a a strip on a, a regular basis. I mean, I, I do a, I'm doing a three day a week thing, but um, that's, you know, trying to do all of that seven days a week and then get on top of all that other stuff is a really big task. It's monumental. Yeah. It's, it's actually very hard. And uh, yeah. there's some people who may sort of insinuate that they think it's easy. And uh, I tell them, look, just do it for a month. Yeah. Do it every day for a month. Yeah. And if you get that month, do it for another month. Don't miss one day. And that will give you just a small idea. Of what it's like, because, you know, most times people say, eh, I don't feel like doing it today. No, no, no. Yeah. You <laughs> don't have a choice. That's not the way it goes. You have to put it out. Now, uh, you do. And I think, what wasn't there a, a year because of illness where you, you had to use reprints? Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually suffered from pancreatitis. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. And for a while there, it was kind of touch and go. They didn't know if I was going to live or not. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. Because uh, once that comes on, that's not. We're, yeah. I mean, this is crazy. But we're, pancreatitis has come up in the podcast the last couple of weeks because as listeners know, my dog had suffered from pancreatitis and is still suffering and kind of going through that. So human beings and animals can get it, too. And it comes on really suddenly. Yes. And, and then it's sort of hard to get rid of once you've got it. Well, the, the, the really bad thing is not only did it come up very quickly, uh, the doctors don't even know what triggered it because they, they told me that a lot of times it could be triggered from greasy food right. or over drinking. Right. And I'm not a drinker. Right. And I'm actually quite careful with what I eat. I don't eat a lot of greasy food. I never did. So, um, they were they were guessing that it might be uh, a lot of the tension that I'm under because uh, uh, many times I have no outlet to get rid of it after yeah. I you know after working so hard like I told you I might sleep yeah or you know I just watch TV and just uh, just veg out for a while you know but then a few hours I'm right back at it again yeah but uh, there, something went on inside there and they they gave me three operations. Oh, man. And the guys, you know, they saved my life. They pulled me out of it. So are you suffering any ill effects now? No, none. None. That's great. 
because yeah. because it, it, it can linger. I mean, you were you were away for a year, I think, right? So yeah, uh, it, was, it was pretty much. Yeah. And I, I think for one, uh, it wasn't recuperating in the hospital the whole time, although I was in the hospital for months. Yeah. But uh, then when I came home, I didn't feel like drawing. Yeah. You know, I basically stayed in my room mm-hmm. and uh, I had family coming back and forth doing things for me. But um, I really didn't do anything for the next few months. Yeah. But thing it was, it, it got to the point where I was itching to get back to it so much, I just started doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> I just told them now it's time. I, I, yeah. I want to come back now. Yeah. Because at this point, I feel odd if I don't do it. Yeah. If I take off like two weeks, I start mm-hmm. to feel strange. Mm-hmm. I think Schultz said the same thing, actually, that if he took week weeks off at a time, he started to feel odd and he had he had to get the itch and get back to it. But do you feel I mean, thinking about the pancreatitis and the stress that you're under, um, you know, do you feel that pressure, you know, as a burden upon you? Um, every day, or is it more or less, you know, you've gotten so uh, used to it that that it just... Oh, no. I, I'm just used to it. That's why I say, for me, it just came out of left field. Yeah. Uh, one day, I was feeling fine, and next day, I doubled over in pain, holding my stomach. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And next thing I know, here comes the ambulance. Uh, they took me to the hospital. I don't know if they gave me something or if I passed out. But next thing I know, I'm waking up in the bed, and uh, I had a scar across my stomach. Oh, my gosh. And they had already operated. So. Oh, my gosh. It, wow. It happened that quickly. I mean, that I could have gone yeah. that quick. Yeah, because it comes on. I mean, that's what happened with our dog who, who got pancreatitis. It came on like one one morning, and it was unbelievably painful. And we, didn't, we still, to this day, are not 100% sure where it came from. Yeah. And, it just comes on. So were you on a restricted diet after that for a while? Uh, pretty much my, you know what? My diet was already restricted. It happened like um, I can't eat seafood because I have a, a terrible allergy. Okay. And like I say, I don't eat um, greasy meats. I don't, I mm. really don't like fat at all. If I have a steak, it has to be completely lean and trim. So you I, stay I'm, away from the things anyway. Yeah. yeah, basically I'm like a roast chicken Oh, me too. I like roast chicken and gravy and things like that. You know, yeah, they're easy to digest. Yes, right. I I understand you're quite a cook, actually. This is off topic, but oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you how'd you you find that out? I don't know. I read it someplace. You know that you 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 had culinary uh you know characteristics. You were very good at at cooking and uh, yeah, man. You know what? Actually, I can cook. Yeah, actually, cook really well. That's why I say. You know, I, I don't know where it comes from because I cook well for myself. I mm. I have cooked for parties of like 30 people. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I you like got a catering business on the side. <laughs> yeah, you know, I do all that stuff. So, okay. so did, did, was your mother a good cook? Is that where it comes from? Or, oh, yeah. You know? yeah. I think yeah. a lot of it came from watching her. Yeah. And then as she became older and all that, uh, I, I took over her reins and I started doing Thanksgivings for the family. I mean, I, I've been doing Thanksgivings for about wow, 20, 20 years or more. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So you do them yeah. there in your house in Connecticut? Right. Or, or else I'll take it to one of their homes. Okay. And let me tell you something. Uh huh. It's a little bit different 
when you cook for black folk. Oh. <laughs> your, okay. Your, the food better be good because one, we're going to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll tell you to your face, mm, this is dry. You know? oh, I've seen Curtis respond that way. Yes. 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 Yeah, okay. Yep. All right. So you you're gonna find you're gonna get a review that day. <laughs> right. So uh, I I always have to make sure I have control of the kitchen. I don't want anyone to even come in while I'm doing the cooking. And I mean I do it all. Okay. I mean I I can bake a pie or or cook a oh, turkey. Really? You can do the desserts <laughs> too, man. Wow, I, you in our family. Uh, my my wife is a phenomenal cook, and and because of that, I've been very blessed and very lucky in that way. But when it comes to pies and things like that, she stays away. <laughs> she, oh, okay. It's a running joke. She's she's not the baker in the family. She leaves the baking to me. So uh, I like to I like a good pie. Last time she made an apple pie, she forgot to put the the flour in the in the mix, and it didn't you know it didn't work right. But anyway, but otherwise she's a great cook. So lucky that. But yeah, but roast chicken is one of our our things, one of our staples. So she does that a lot. You know, um, oh man, that's that's really something. So so you got that you got that going for you on, on I, the side too. That you know what? That's how I actually introduced myself to neighbors. Uh, oh, as a good cook. Yeah, I, I I would cook chickens and and go over and take it to their homes. Oh wow! And I say you don't have to cook tonight here. And man, I, that's nice. I I'd like to have you. And you know, they say, oh, we're so glad you're our neighbor. You're so wonderful. <laughs> you know, and then a friendship starts. And then they want you to cook something else. Well, you know, so far they haven't done that. Okay. You know, they, they've been very nice about not pressuring me. Okay. But uh, here's a little something. I I don't actually tell the people what I do. You know, oh, because, okay. So they don't because, know. Yeah. You know, I just want them to treat me like a regular person. Sure. So, you know, that way, uh, you know, I get them at their realness. Oh, but then you know, they... they they don't put on any airs or anything. They they right. just treat me like you know regular old Ray. Because cartoonists are still kind of a, a rarity in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And see, yep. the whole thing will start up again. Oh, can you draw this? Hey, yeah. Can you draw my wife and kids. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, no. Oh, don't. Yeah, really, don't. Yeah, yeah. that's like the worst. People are asking right. to do stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. You know, you know, in the old days, you would be a celebrity of the first magnitude, you know, to be a, a cartoonist or somebody along those lines. And uh, and so that would be the weird thing. But in comic books, comic book artists were I remember reading some something somewhere where somebody never wanted to tell somebody what he did because, you know, people just didn't understand it. And, True. you know, they thought it was a weird thing to be a cartoonist. Uh, you, you draw funny pictures for a living. That is really strange. Uh, but you know, it seems like to people like ourselves, it's the most natural thing in the world to draw. No, uh, I, I spoke with a young person at one of the San Diego comic cons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think he either drew, it was either Batman or oh, okay. the Hulk, something like that. I mean, but he did it freelance. He wasn't oh, connected yeah. with Marvel. He just drew nice pictures. Right. And so I was asking him, you know, how's it going? How's business going? And he told me, awful. Oh. He said, look around. There's a hundred people drawing Batman. Yep. And yep. he said, how am I going to sell one? He said, there's too many people drawing superheroes. And it, I'm like, true. wow. Wow. That and, is and the thing. thing. If you do superheroes, you sort of have to follow a standard, mm -hmm. you know, for the character to look a certain way. 
But if you draw cartoons my way, you're a little bit more unique because you could draw them anyway. Yeah, it's dependent upon a, a personal style. Yeah, exactly. The comic strips dependent on a personal style. You so, do those superheroes and you lose that personality because you have to be part of a booklet with other people. And you're working in a is sort of an assembly line. Uh, whereas the comic strip is still the the purvey of of an individual uh, for the most right. part, not always, but for the most part, and oh, the yeah, best the ones part. always. Hey, it's never a good time to break into one of these interviews and remind you to check out my work, but I've got to do it anyway. Please check out jeffgrogan.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. You can follow my work. You can follow my new comic strip, Spiking the Lens, there. Uh, You can also go to its own website, spikingthelens.com. It's a comic strip about actresses and agents and authors and making movies in Los Angeles. And somehow or another, there's a laundromat mixed into that bunch as well. So check it out. I think you'll find it amusing. Uh, You can also follow myself, my work, everything at uh, Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F on Instagram. That's where I am most of the time. When I'm not mowing the lawn, I'm on Instagram. Check me out there, okay? Uh, And that's it. So let's get back to the interview. So, you know, there were a couple things I wanted to touch on. Um, w- one of which was, you, you know, the way you started to develop your relationship with Charles Schultz. Uh, you were talking about it when we first, you know, opened up Skype today. And, and I was wondering if you would tell that story a little bit um, to the audience uh, about uh, Snoopy visiting Curtis. Oh, OK. You know what? I have forgotten that quickly. <laughs> I know. But it was a great story. And and I, I wasn't recording when you told it. And I thought, well. That is, oh my gosh, we got to have that on uh, record. Okay. So, yeah, so run that through again. I think that is a great story. Now, th- this was back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to like to really experiment with the strip, which meant sometimes bringing in characters from other strips. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a Sunday page where someone knocks on the door and Curtis goes to answer it. Standing on the other side is Snoopy. <laughs> and... He invites Snoopy in and, uh, you know, they go to the other room and Curtis starts playing some music and he dances while Snoopy watches. Then Snoopy takes his turn and he's dancing and and Snoopy's dancing the familiar dance that we all know. You see all the feet jumping and all that. And then he gives Curtis a thumbs up and he leaves. And uh, then Curtis looks at the audience and he says, so who do you think taught him his moves? MC Hammer? <laughs> so, you know, it's a thing where all this time we saw Snoopy dancing. It's because of Curtis. He would go to Curtis for dancing lessons. Oh, I like that. And uh, Schultz saw it. And right away he said, you got to let me have it. You got to send it to me. Got to give it to me. Oh, man, that's so and, nice. Uh, you know, then he sent me a Sunday that has... Uh, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and Woodstock in, and I said, "Wow, three characters, okay." Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's oh, fabulous. And, uh, our friendship blossomed so well that um, I used to tease him because of Charlie Brown. He told me he was so much like Charlie Brown as a child, with the big round head and all that. And I said, "You know what? I'm going to make a character that's completely the opposite of him, and you'll know him when I tell you." But this was like an inside gag for just Schultz and me. I have two bullies in the strip. Yes. Called Derek and Onion. Yes. Derek has a round head. Okay. 
When you yes, see he does. Him straight on, his head is round. The same little round eyes and all as Charlie Brown. He does. I never thought of that. Actually, that's my little nod to Schultz. Oh, my gosh. I so had every, no idea. Every time he saw it, like, I mean, you know, that was a inside job. Yeah. Us two. And see, he was the complete opposite of, yes. of uh, Charlie Brown. Yeah, the anti-Charlie Brown. Uh, yeah, Charlie Brown was meek and mild and all that. Curtis uh, had to fight almost, but he always had to go up against uh, these two yeah. bullies. Yeah, Derek I mean, and they, they never put their hands on him. They never got a chance to hit him. But, you know, they're bullies just the same. Yeah, they're intimidating and, right, they've been... You know, they, they basically do mother jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they tell mother jokes, and, and yeah. that's the extent of their bullying. Yeah. But, I mean, they don't even extort money from him. So they're sort of like, you know, bully bully light. Uh-huh. <laughs> so did, you call it. did Schultz respond to, did he know the character when he saw it? And, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did. told him. Okay. And he said, go with it. So, uh, so you and Schultz developed, developed a kind of correspondence and did you ever travel out to, um, see him in Santa Rosa? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we hung out a few times actually. Um, we played football. You played football with Charles Schultz? Oh, mind you, Charles Schultz, he could play football. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't let that, that, uh, Charlie Brown thing fool you with (laughs) With him being a loser, yeah, uh, he could throw a baseball. Yeah, okay. I've heard he's a competitor. Yeah, I mean, if if you caught his baseball, he threw it with some some pep behind it. It would really? hit your glove and make a smack. And I mean, when he threw a football, he threw a bullet. Oh my gosh! You so know, it would go right into your chest or your stomach. So you, so you actually, so as a kid, you didn't play so much football with the kids in the neighborhood, but you grew up to play football with Charles Schultz. Yeah. I, I mean, one day we were just, we were hanging out in his yard uh-huh. and he got up and he went over and he picked up a book, uh, a, a football. And he said, come on, you want to throw the ball around? I said, sure. Why not? Why not? You know, since we were there and, and, you know, we were just eating sandwiches and, and, and drinking soda and lemonade. So, you know, we got up to play play a little bit wow and you know he slammed the ball at me and then i was slamming at him <laughs> he could catch the football also he could yeah. yeah well he was he was actually a pretty good athlete from what i've read so oh, yeah. very competitive and ice hockey was his thing oh yeah you know uh we went over to his his uh i don't know if he still has it actually but uh he had a skating ring oh yeah and it was still- it was almost like olympic side it was huge yeah and uh, we had had a little lunch by there, and, and he asked me what size my feet were. And I told him, he said, you want to skate? I said, not really. <laughs> not really. I, I hadn't actually done ice skating since I was, like, a kid. Right. And, you know, I didn't want to, like, break my neck out there in sure. California. Right. So, um, I mean, he, he showed me that he could skate. But, you know, it was really just for the fun of it. But we really got into... Uh, the baseball and the the football. Oh, oh, mind you, he could pitch a ball too. Really? Did you he could did pitch you... a baseball? Yeah. He, I mean, he he struck me out. Oh, <laughs> oh, so you batted against him? Yeah. You batted against him? Oh my well, god! Yeah. I mean, we were just out in his yard. 
I mean, you know, he would throw the ball, and, you know, I took a, a hefty swing at it. Right. And there was a backstop, so, you know, the ball wouldn't go all the way back. Right. You know, I pick up the ball, throw it to him, and he, he'd let me have it again. But, I mean, uh, I hit the ball sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, we had uh, Lex Fajardo, uh, who is uh, a senior editor at the Schultz Studio now, come on mm-hmm. the show. And he was on for a couple of times and Lex a really nice guy and we had some wonderful discussions and uh, he's a cartoonist too. And we, he told me, you know, the, where they work is where Schultz's studio was. And he told me that you really wouldn't know that the world's most famous cartoonist worked in the studio. It looked like a dentist's office almost. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I can't remember. I don't know if it's on my Instagram or or my Facebook or something, I, I have posted a picture of uh, Schultz and I in his office. Wow. And uh, I'm sitting in his chair, and uh-huh. he's sitting right behind me. I don't know. It might be on, on Instagram. I, that was when our friendship was becoming more solid. Right. And uh, he said, you want to see where I work? I said, sure, sure. <laughs> so so did you have, like, um, I mean, first of all, that must have been quite an experience. I mean, you know, growing up, I'm sure Schultz and Peanuts were very important to you growing up, as they were to most cartoonists of our generation, I think. And and so being there must have been kind of inspiring in a way. Well, let me tell you something about Schultz that a, a lot of people really didn't seem to realize. You know what? Schultz was just a regular guy. Hmm. <laughs> He was a nice, regular fellow. The, see, the only thing is, and this is why I don't tell people what I do, since he was so well-known, yeah. people were intimidated by him. They were always asking him for things. Yeah. And one thing he told me way back was, you know, we really got along because I didn't ask for anything. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, I didn't want any drawings or anything. I just wanted to hang out. Or, yeah. you know, I just wanted some fatherly advice yeah you know i didn't grill him about what's going on with the strip or the animated project i just Mm. treated him like a regular person that's what he was craving it was the the hardest thing for yet we we would stand on the side at a cartoonist convention and we'd see people come up to him and they'd be shaking in their boots sure and uh after they leave you know he would look at me and say why are they why are they going through this? And I said, are you kidding me? Yeah. I said, do you know who you are? I, I even asked him once, what is it like to be you? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're going to shave and your stuff is everywhere. Yeah. You know, what is it? And uh, we were in his backyard and we were sitting at this little eating table and his dog, Andy was sitting out there with us and the dog started to scratch. And, uh, he just said, "It." Uh, he said, fame doesn't keep fleas off of a dog. <laughs> and I said, now I understand it. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, you know what? Fame, it means nothing. Right. Because the little stuff is still going to happen. Yeah. You know, you may happen to lock up what you're, what you're doing, but you don't let it overwhelm you to a point mm-hmm. where you become egotistical about it. Because every day you have to get up and do the same thing again. You have to go to work and, and you can't go to work with an attitude like, you yeah. know, the world's greatest cartoonist. You go to work to go to work and produce. Right, exactly. And I, and I think most of the people that worked with Schultz enjoyed working with him. 
He, <laughs> he was not a tyrant. Uh, I mean, dealing with Will Eisner was completely different. Oh, yeah? Than dealing with Schultz, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I could hang with Schultz, and, and we had a burger or a ham sandwich or something like that. You could be friends. That wasn't happening with Will. <laughs> you couldn't be friends with Will. Well, I mean, we were friends. Right. And actually, once I got my comic strip, we became even deeper friends. Oh, okay. I kept telling him, I said, Will, one day I'm going to get syndicated. And he would say, you know, it's a very hard field. And I said, yeah, but I'm going to crack it one day. And uh-huh. I mean, I was just talking. Sure. I was, I was just talking. I had no idea that it was really going to happen. Right, right. Yeah. So I went Together. to him when I got the contract, when I was offered the contract, I went to Will and I said, look, I got it. And I said, <laughs> I want you to look it over. Uh-huh. And he was the first person to read it. And really? he actually told me about adding and subtracting a few things. Okay. You know, that was like in my well, he, favor. Yeah, he was a very smart businessman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, he uh, I mean, a time. most of the people that I dealt with, I, I think of them as family because, you know what, they sat and they taught me things and they didn't really have to. You know, I knew Dean Young, who, who did Blondie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his father, Chick, stopped doing it. Yeah. I mean, he gave me a lot of advice. And, and Hank Ketchum gave me a lot of advice. And Johnny Hart, who did Wizard of Id and, and oh, yeah. DC, taught me about humor. And, and uh, let's see, Russell Myers told me about slapstick with Bruce uh-huh. Hilda. I, I, I got a chance to really meet so many people and become friends with them. You know, I was very lucky that I, I joined uh, the industry when I did. Yeah, it was great time. I didn't meet Al Cap. I, I wish I would have met Al Cap because actually uh, his strip was one of my very favorites. Oh, really? Little, yeah, little, little Abner, the drawing and the humor. Uh, uh, you look at those book collections, yeah. those are like a must for sure. cartoonists. They should really study his stuff. Well, it was beautifully drawn, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, yes. See, we, we lost a lot of the art. Yeah. I don't know if people don't try their very best or they, they don't push themselves. Well, I uh, think um, a, a lot of it has to do with the size in the newspaper now. But I know that there are a lot of cartoonists on Instagram or, or you know, on the web. Some of those are pretty elaborate in terms of the quality of art. So it's out there. It's it's just um, I think in the newspapers, it's harder to find, you know, I mean, there one is of the this... things one of the mm-hmm. things I, I tell young people, especially those that I'm mentoring. Once you get an idea and you flesh it out, yeah. put it away and redraw it, and do it from a totally different perspective. See That's... how you can push yourself, see how you could top yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. and see that that was something that I mean, will taught me that. Mm-hmm. Uh when you think you've done your best, put it away and do another one. You know, yeah. go away from, from it for a day and come back to it with a fresh eye and redraw it and see how much you improve. You improve just by doing it from day to day. Yeah. So I try to, to push that on to students. And let me tell you, a lot of the, the kids that I've worked with, I've seen them get better and better. And it's because they've learned to push themselves beyond what they think they can do. Yeah. 
and and that is that is the thing is getting your ego and uh, out of the way in order to do good work, which yeah. means you know exactly. being self-critical, and uh, and that takes a while to to determine. But all of those people that we're talking about, uh, you know, great cartoonists, all of them had a sense of criticality and a sense of self-criticism. They were able to look at their work and and reject the stuff that that wasn't good in in favor of stuff, you know. Uh, and go back to the drawing board and do it better the next time. And I know that's something that you've actually uh, done in your own work. I mean, with your professional work, you've you've actually, when you're not happy with work, even after you've sent it into the syndicate, you've you've pulled it back. Oh yes, oh yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, the deadline will be right on top of me, but I'll say, look, it's not coming out the way I like it. Mm-hmm. Something is missing, and I I just need another day you know, to hash it out. And, uh, of course the syndicate, they want the work on time. Yeah, that's but, uh, like, yeah. I, I just can't give it to them if I don't feel it's the best version. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll take the hit and, and have them shake their finger at me and, and <laughs> tell me to hurry up. But, uh, you know, it, it has to pass a certain criteria for it to leave me. Well, and it's it's because your work is, and like the cartoonists who we've been talking about, your work is a personal expression as much as it is a commercial one. And so, yes. and yeah. because of that, if it doesn't feel right for you personally, for whatever reason, it may not be something that any of the readers might pick up on or, or, or the syndicate might not pick up on, but you, you know, if you put it out, you're going to regret it and because exactly. it's something, something wrong with it. So you take it back and it'll. What it'll do is nag at me <laughs> because I'll say, dog, I let that out. And I know I could have done this a little better. I could, I could do better. I could have worded this better. You know, yeah. any, any one of those things. You know, these questions that are coming back to me that I want to make sure I ask before we, we, you know, part. And one of those was, you know, you have a collection of originals uh, up on your wall. And I know I've seen in Instagram that you have a great reverence for a variety of cartoonists who people may not remember today or may not think about very much. And um, Erwin Hazen was one of those that oh, that yeah, you talked about. Dondi. And I, I remember I saw this post of you holding uh, or talking about Dondi, which was a strip that I grew up with, too. Uh, I loved it. It was uh, I read it in the Daily News, uh, New York Daily News back in the yes. day. Yes. Uh, you, you, too. Right. And yeah. I love that strip. He was the nicest guy too, Erwin Hansen. Yeah. Yeah, another sweetheart in the business. Yeah, he was a sweet man. I, he would be at every comic convention forever. You would see him, you know, uh, in the day because he drew comic books as well as comic strips. He was one of the few who made that transition from comic books to doing comic strips. But I was pleased to see that you were a fan of Dondi. Also. Do you remember Brenda Starr? Yes, I love that strip. Brenda Starr and Dale Messick. I posted a a picture somewhere where uh, I'm holding up a Sunday. Yeah. It's just to show how large people used to work. And you don't work that that large anymore. Well, I don't work that large, but but my actually the mentions of my Sunday strip, they were actually given to me by Schultz. They were. Oh, wow. Actually, I worked the same size as he did. What's that size? Uh, let's see. I've got a ruler right here. I can <laughs> tell you. 15 by 18. 
Okay, that's 15 by 22. 15 by 22. That's a good yeah. size. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good size. That's nice to. And your dailies, what are they, are they smaller than than that? Well, let's see. I have a daily right here. I can tell you the dimensions in a moment. <laughs> Sixteen and three quarters by five and three quarters. Okay. Okay. So it is a good deal smaller. Yeah. And you you do you like stretching out a little bit on that larger Sunday size? Oh yeah, it gives me a chance to you know really tell a story or, or get into. Uh, a personality. I, I always felt this: a Sunday idea should be an idea that you can't do in a daily. Right. Right. Now I know sometimes I've seen some of the guys they do like one big panel for Sunday. Oh, yeah. And I, you know I think that for the readers they should give the readers a bit more. You know right. you're doing this you're doing this for them because you know uh, you could be brightening up their day. They could they could have just lost a job or. or had a bad time and they turn to your stuff and you know they they it brightens them up so you're supposed to do your very best yeah and sure for sunday i think you should be extra special and and that was always the way the sunday was always you know where that that moment in the comic strip where it was uh it was it always felt like a special day you know? yeah exactly yeah yeah you get a chance um, to sit with the family or you you sit alone and you're enjoying a cup of uh, tea or coffee you know and, and you're reading the strips yeah, it, yeah it's like a special time to be sane yeah yeah it, and a quiet time i mean we right, used to have exactly. that sunday um it was always a routine of my dad's uh to stop after you know in you know in the old days um i was raised catholic i don't participate anymore but we'd go to church and after church we'd stop at the drugstore and pick up the newspapers the sunday newspapers which were a big thing for my dad and we'd go back home and and uh i'd get the comics pages of course you know right right away <laughs> and, uh, that's where i read Dondi and dick tracy and all of those the sunday daily news i just loved that and uh uh sitting there with that newspaper because they were in those days they were really terrific the sunday comics was really really nice they you know even in my paper here now locally uh they're they're so slim there used to be so many more pages to them and there's they're so slim now it's it's um not as much fun as it used to be uh, yeah yeah know, unfortunately so. yeah and a lot of the papers they don't really they seem to have forgotten what the real reason of cartooning was in the first place uh mm -hmm. not only personal expression but uh cartooning was made to sell papers yeah or, or yeah. sell magazines, you know, yeah. you, you tuned in to see a certain cartoonist, a, a favorite yeah. subject, like, but, you yeah. know, for some reason, they don't think that's important anymore. Yeah, I think they, I, I think there's, there's a lot missing, you know, from the newspaper. Uh, of course, we're getting it from other sources now, you know, we are, the news cycle is 24 seven instead of in the old days, it used to be, you'd pick up the newspaper in the morning and the evening, you know, you'd have your right. morning and evening edition. Right. Now it's a 24 seven thing and it's everywhere. Um, so it's inescapable. You know, the newspapers themselves uh, have, have kind of lost that, sense of purpose and and also the things about the newspaper that made it special and one of those important things that made it special uh, aside from say local reporting with you know reporters who you cared about and, and writers who you got to know was sure. the comics and you got to know the comics pages you know yes. uh, and 
opportunist there. So they, they there became was part of your daily family. You know, before we we wrap it up, um, I, a couple of other things. You know, I saw the Dale Messick and the Brenda Starr, and we were just talking about great newspaper comics and uh, and Dondi, of course, you talked about. Were there other newspaper comics that were of real strong influence to you? Oh wow, there were so many. Uh, I I was a fan of so many strips uh, because each strip gave you something so vastly different. Oh, yeah. Uh, Even like things with uh, Hagar Horrible. Sure. When Dick Brown first came out with it, the line of his characters I fell in love with. His cross-hatching and all. I hadn't even seen that in comic strips before. You know, of course, things like that I adapted. Then, Then you look at High and Lois. Uh, when it was done also by Dick Brown, he used black as a color. Yes. And if you really looked at his black and white works, they were sort of like striking. So, I mean, even even magazine artists, I got influenced by. And you had to go to different magazines just to pick them up. People like Peter Arno and and Saxon, uh, Herblock, who was, uh, you know, editorial... I had an affinity for so many artists. I used to like this guy, uh, Gayan Wilson. Yeah. You, you actually had to get Playboy. You had to get <laughs> Playboy. To get that. Stuff. And mind yep. you, here I am, 16 year, years old, going to a newsstand saying, oh, can I have the issue of Playboy? And, I was like, <laughs> and no, you were buying it for the cartoons. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see the cartoons. Sure you do. <laughs> get out of here. So, that was funny because then uh, you had to go to almost like these underground uh, yeah. newspaper places. Yeah. And uh, that's where you can get things like Playboy. And and actually, that's why I saw uh, works by Robert Crumb, who, who introduced me to the whole world of underground comics. Right. I found out there was an entire genre oh, yeah. of people. under there. And I mean, they're, they're talented people. Sure, it was, very talented. You know, yeah. It was just this subject matter <laughs> that made people flip out. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they, you know, they broke through major barriers, you know, things that uh, it's interesting to to watch, watch the progression of, of uh, expression in comics over the course of, you know, its development in the, in the, I don't think that Robert Crumb would have been doing what he did without, say, Charles Schultz or Jules Pfeiffer who came before, you know, I think they opened doors to a kind of contemplative intellectual approach to comics that Robert Crumb and his contemporaries took and, and, you know, took into a different direction. Right. Right. I'm glad you mentioned Pfeiffer. I was trying to get him in the conversation. Uh, he's another one who I always admired. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, when I got to meet him, we, we hit it off also, uh, he he was sort of jabbing at me because I had moved away from New York. Uh-huh. I moved to Connecticut. And he said, "Hey, how could you do that? You turned your back on New York." And then in later years, he moved to that to the Hamptons. Oh, really? So I said, "Hey, man, you moved out of the neighborhood too." Yeah. People, so don't give it to me. Right. <laughs> and let's see. Uh, there's people like uh, Arnold Roth. Oh yeah. Who mm-hmm. had such a distinctive style. Uh, and they're such fantastic people. I mean, uh, most of the people I've met, they they harbored no ego. You mm-hmm. know, they were 
happy to be around other cartoonists and we just shared stories. It was like an old classroom of yeah. people getting together. And yet we were all so very different in our approach to being creative. It was just a wonderful time. Yeah. In a lot of ways, um, I think what you're describing, you know, the, the late 20th century, there there is a kind of, I don't want to, you know, create a, a hesiography, but it is kind of a, a golden age in a way with all of those great cartoonists around. And uh, there was a lot to draw from. And, and because they were so popular, it seemed like there was so much possibility within the realm of you know, the newspaper comic strip and, yes. and similar media. And, uh, and so it felt like there, it was, it was an open world then, you know, in a way, uh, I suppose the internet is that way now, but you know, you and I are kind of at the other end of the game and, and our, our, um, our love really is for the world we grew up in, you know, the work of those artists that we grew up in, in comics, right. but right. there's a, there is a lot of, a lot of stuff happening, on the net and on the web it's hard to keep up with it all but uh you know i follow a lot of things on instagram that i'm i'm really overwhelmed by very impressed by although because of the nature of the internet it's very hard to follow things on a daily basis the way that say you could follow the newspaper comics and i think that's right. Right. one of the difficulties of inherent in the world that the media world we've got now you know that there's something really incredible going on uh in the internet that newspapers and print didn't, didn't ever really welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep up with a lot of people also, but they're basically uh, women, a lot of women cartoonists, and a lot of black cartoonists. There's a lot of people out there who are very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. But, but there's no way for them to find an audience except through the internet. Yeah. And there's always been pushback against the ladies and black folk. And I don't, I don't really know where that's from because uh, I don't know if it's thing where a certain group of people think they're better as artists or anything. Uh, because, I mean, the, the, the pool of talent that I see out there is incredible. Yeah. And really I keep is. up with a lot of people uh, I'm friends with a lot of them. I, I try to give them words of encouragement because, you know, they, they need to be seen and they need to have people pat them on the back, the oldsters like me. Sure. Uh, they need to have encouragement instead of people saying, you know, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And and find a way. I, I think the difficulty in today's situation is finding a way to make a living, uh, a viable living at it. Right. Uh, Aside from, say, working for a big corporation or something, you know, I mean, to do what comic strip artists did uh, in the late in, throughout the 20th century and build a, a really substantial living based on it's very, very difficult to do. Some people have done it, but they've been at it for a long time yes. and uh, and found a way and built an audience. But I think for younger people coming up or older people, say, like myself, who are putting stuff out there, um, you know, late to the game. If you're not savvy with social media and don't have a big audience it, it, in that way right from the start, it's it's a tricky world to navigate. And, uh, and you know, in regard to, to women and, and uh, cartoonists of color, and uh, you know, racism persists. 
and and it exists. And uh, you know, although you'd think people would be colorblind when they're looking at art, you know, uh, a lot of times it still exists and still. Oh, you know? did you see what's happening uh, about all the news about this new uh, Little Mermaid remake? I haven't been following that. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, it's true. I, I don't keep up too much with what's, I'm not a big Disney buff, but, um, so fill me in on that. Oh boy. Well, I, I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, I don't have the insides to Disney like I used to, but, um, supposedly they're going to do a remake of, uh, the, the, what is it? The little mermaid that was okay. a big hit, except that they casted a, a black actress. Well, that's great. <laughs> The mermaid. Sure. And of course, the oh, internet yeah. is blowing up. Yeah, a lot of people behind it. You know, people are showing such hatred. Oh They're man. showing their real side, man. You know, I, I and and it's so dispiriting at this point in our our cultural development. But I think, unfortunately, the the moment we live in this cultural moment is given voice and validity. You know, to these people who are True. coming from a place of hatred rather than you know uh, love and concern and and brotherhood. You know, I mean, there is like. Um, uh, like Idris Elba, uh, who's a great, terrific actor, uh, has been considered for the role of uh, James Bond. Right. And, and he's gotten a lot of flack and people have gotten a lot of flack for suggesting. Now, if you look at him, and you ever watched his show Luther at all, you know, oh, this yeah. guy would be phenomenal. You know, right. uh, I right. mean, he's got Sean Connery kind, kind of qualities to him, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, he'd be terrific in the role. It'd be great to see him. There's a lot of supporters for him too, though. Uh, but I think he's unfortunately he said he'd never do it. But anyway, uh, but you know, similar kind of thing, you know. And uh, and I think unfortunately, you know, I mean, politicians. There's one I will not speak the name of, but who's made a lot of this, um, you know, possible. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's really terrible. It's really you know, ter terrible situation. The thing that I'd be mad about with the Little Mermaid. Not the fact that they cast the black actors. The whole thing I'm upset about is they're doing a remake. Exactly the same. Me too. I don't like this whole live action remake of animated films. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Leave the animated I, film and be original. Yeah. Why why are they doing that? I, I have no idea. I don't understand it because they used to be so original. I know. And there's some and, and they believed in animation and, and in what animation can do. This yes. is like a negation of animation. It's like saying, well, you know, here's the real version now. You know, it's it's like it's like taking comic book superheroes and making them into superhero movies. It's like that's the ultimate realization. And for right. me, the comic book is the ultimate realization, you know, the drawing. That's what you I was know, always into anyway. I, I've seen many of the superhero things and basically yeah. it's just to keep up with it you know what i i think sometimes it's like a saturation part yeah you know when do you stop making so many superheroes yeah it, it's basically uh a plot that's similar and most of the characters now are dark but they're brooding and they're coming up against a madman who wants to dominate the world or the yep. universe all the time yeah. you know and then this group or this singular one stops him Boom. yeah that's it. There's but your plot. It's it's the franchise. It's why there's so many of them. Why is Batman on number nine or or yeah. you know why is Spider-Man on number seven or even like Star Wars? What they yeah. did with Star Wars? What are they yeah. up to now? Eleven or something? I have no it's idea. Too much. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think at some point or another, you know, it seems like studio executives are just, you know, looking at the bank account and knowing that these it's it's easier to bank on a franchise than it is on an original film. And uh, and that's the unfortunate thing. But, you know, you and I are beginning to sound like Greg. Well, you know, the, the only reason why I feel this way is because I think what they're doing is shortchanging the audience. Yes. They're trying yes. to tell the audience, this is all you know. Yeah. yeah. Instead of giving them that original thing. Uh, yeah. I can remember when Will Smith came out with Independence Day and I said, OK, mm-hmm. a, another alien film. Mm-hmm. When I got there in line, the line was two blocks long. Yeah. Because it was something new. Yeah, that was given to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, same thing with Star Wars. When that first came out, nobody knew what to expect. Yeah, but it was exciting. It seemed like those kind of directors, I think they're shortchanging the audience. Yeah. You, you know, you have to go elsewhere for those kinds of films these days and uh, yeah. not from, you know, you got to find them uh, in different venues. And sometimes it's like the, with the comics, it's hard to find them sometimes uh, and to lock onto them and get access to them. But, um, you know, it's it, or to know what to choose, really, is there's so much to choose from. It's hard to to, to choose now, from it. But. One thing I would really suggest for young people, for one. Uh, if they're especially interested in animation, check out animation from other countries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't Absolutely. mean just anime. Yeah. I, I mean other countries. They're doing a world of difference. Absolutely. And that's what I love about um, international animation. When you go to look at, say, what they're doing in, in France or Hungary or, you yes. know. Uh, someplace like that. You see, you see a, a lot of animation that is not aimed towards children. It's not animation for kids. It's right. animation that's uh, that's adult oriented, and I don't mean in a sexual way. I mean, you know, these are stories that adults would be interested in. You know, yeah. about people that are complex that you know have to do with situations that are not based upon you know those mythological archetypes. They're based on something else, and um, you know, and see, as as most of us know, cartoons really weren't made for little children anyway. No, they weren't a... made for five or six year olds. They were made for an older audience. I yep. mean, take something like Bullwinkle. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. My favorite. People, yeah. People thought of it, you know, as just a kid's thing. But if you really listen to what's going on, yeah. you know, you find it's... out there's yep. a lot more innuendo going on. That oh, absolutely. Kids wouldn't get. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a kid, I loved it as a kid. It appealed to me as a kid. But there was, as an adult, you know, I go back to that, and I'm I'm astounded how much stuff they fit into that that cartoon. Oh right? man, uh, fractured fairy tales. Yeah, I love that they, stuff. They got away with murder. They did. <laughs> they sure did. Oh, Jay, I've read a book about Jay Ward and and uh, the the studio he created around Bullwinkle, and I love that stuff. That was that was fun stuff. You know, George of the Jungle and all of that. Right. Stuff. You know, he did some great stuff. Well, uh, Ray, I think um, it's we've been going at it here for a long time. Um, and I I think it's about time to for me to head on out. So um, okay. I got, got some dogs who are begging to be fed. So <laughs> I think it's about, about time I did that. But this has been fantastic. It's really been a wonderful discussion and so wide ranging. And there's so many things. I'm going to go back and listen to this. And I know... There are little threads of conversation that I'm going to go. Want, I'm going to want to call you back up and ask 
you know, wait, what about this now? We didn't talk about that because we went out to this. There's so many aspects of this conversation I really want to revisit. So sure, no, no problem. It's, yeah, it's so been if, a lot of fun. Just, yeah, it's been great. If, and, and see, like I tell people, you know, um, I don't know if it was my starting in the industry so early. I have so many stories. You I mean, sure this, do. This could go on for six hours. You know? I, I know, and, and I, I really want to get back to it. So if you don't mind, at some time in the future, I might reach out to you again. Sure. Uh, and and uh, we'll start up this again and see where it goes, because I, I think this is great. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, you have some wonderful, wonderful stories to tell. And uh, boy, oh boy, I'm, I, I think I've got a scoop here with the story about Schultz and, and playing baseball and football. That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. So, all right, Ray, um, I'm going to stop the recording button now. Um, but, you know, thank you. And, th and then we'll say our fel farewells after I, I hit the stop. All right. Thank okay, you so, so much. You, and thank you very much for being here. Hey, if you want to help this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening and uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, it does a lot to draw new listeners into the program and helps me sustain this. So uh, that would be great. I'd really appreciate it if you could do that for me. You could also help me by heading over to jeffgrogan.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. Checking out my work. Uh, I've got a whole pile of stuff there to see, not only in terms of comics, but also in terms of collages and other artifacts uh, from my life in the arts. And uh, you might find it amusing and enjoyable as well, and I hope you do. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F. -F. You can follow my comic strip, Spiking the Lens, there three times a week. Uh, follow it also on its own website at spikingthelens.com. Uh, there's lots on Instagram. I try to keep up with it pretty much every day and put up some new stuff that'll be of interest. So head on over there. I really appreciate it. Hope to hear from you one way or the other. And thanks a lot. Okay, so that's where we leave it with Ray. If you want to catch up on Curtis, the best place to do that is at comicskingdom.com. That's the King Features Syndicate website for all of their comics. Best idea, if you want to uh, read the entire archive, is to sign up for a subscription. Hey, the same thing goes for gocomics.com. You want to do that, too. If you're interested in the modern comic strip and you want to keep up on what's going on, Definitely subscribe to both of those uh, sites. That is a, a great, it is a great value. You get, I don't know how many, hundreds, thousands of cartoons, comics available to you for a relatively low price. So you want to check into that. Ray's work is available there on comicskingdom.com. And you can go back and check out Curtis all the way to, I think, pretty much to the beginning and uh, follow along from there if you want to. Along the way, you're going to see some interesting developments in the strip, of course, as you would in any strip over the course of 31 years. A couple of things I just want to point out that we didn't get a chance to talk about is that Ray gets into uh, some superhero parody with Super Captain Cool Man, who is a comic book hero that Curtis loves and follows and is always reading in class and getting in trouble for. Uh, and every now and again, Ray uh, dips into superhero territory with Super Captain Cool Man on a Sunday. So check that out. Look for those. Another thing to be aware of and to look for are Ray's very, very special Kwanzaa strips. 
those usually, of course, come out around uh, the beginning of the year, around the time that Kwanzaa is celebrated. And for two weeks, Ray illustrates uh, an African folktale around the Kwanzaa celebration, and he really allows himself uh, a different approach to illustration and comics illustration in those. And I think you should definitely check those out. Look for those. They're usually uh, last week of December, first week of January, somewhere in there every every year. He hasn't done them in the last couple of years, but uh, go back and, and see. They are really a treasure. It's wonderful the way he weaves them in and out of, of Curtis. So check that out. Again, my thanks to Ray for all of the time he spent with me and uh, talking on that July afternoon. It was a really nice day. It was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. Again, follow Ray's work on comicskingdom.com. Curtis. Look for Curtis, okay? Next time around, it's Pat Sandy of the comic strip Next Door Neighbors. And Next Door Neighbors, if you're not familiar with it, is exactly that. It's about that guy living next door to you, as Pat says. And we had a wonderful conversation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Really a lot of fun, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. If you haven't followed uh, Next Door Neighbors, you can follow it at J.P. Sandy on Instagram, or better yet, go to gocomics.com and follow it there. Can't wait to share that with you, too. So we got a lot coming up, a lot to to look forward to here on the show, and uh, hope you'll come back. That'll do it for now. It's been a wonderful summer here so far, and... There's still a couple of weeks left. Let's stretch it out as long as we can. Before these couple of weeks are over, I'm going to find that tree and sit under it with a Peanuts paperback. Let me tell you, I haven't had the time to do it yet, but I'm going to. And I hope you are too. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.